Uh, we are wrapping up this morning our sermon series on the book of Esther, eight sermons, and uh, we're going to be finished as of today and starting a new series next week. Uh, it's typically our process that we're preaching through a book of the Bible, so you can go along with us and, and study and learn as we, as we study and learn. Um, but today's the last one from the book of Esther. Anybody enjoyed Esther? Man, it's been a great book for me, great time studying it. Um, it's been enjoyable to preach through and, and learn all this there. In a book that never mentions the Word of God, had we found God in this book? I mean, He is all in the middle of it. And we started that first sermon saying, you know, sometimes we feel like we live in a godless culture or godless world, and let us, this be a reminder, like He is always present. And He is always in control. He's never never surprised. Um, so we're going to tackle the last two chapters, really just pulling from one verse this morning. Um, but I want to start with just uh, sharing with you, you know, we are living in town, and so I've been riding my bike some, and, and I ride it to church sometimes. And Megan that works at the market, she, she said, people coming in saying, did I just see your pastor riding his bike down Main Street? And so I'm that guy. Um, and But I noticed the, the last week or two, my bike had gone from the brakes are working okay to like they didn't work this week. Like I came to this intersection and I pulled both the front and back brakes and just went right on through. Super grateful nothing was coming. And uh, so I went home and did what I should do. I found a screwdriver and I was like, I'm going to fix my brakes. And so I like adjusted a few things and thought, all right, they're fixed. Got on it, did nothing. They were just as bad as they were before. And I realized the brake shoes had just completely worn off or brake pads. And, and so I was like, I can't fix this. I don't know what to do next. Like, I could YouTube it and spend, like, half my day and probably still be in a mess. Um, but I've seen the little bike shop here in Hambly. Uh, Dan, I think, is his name that runs a little bike shop. I saw the other day it said repairs bikes. I was like, all right, I'm the guy that needs that. And uh, so I went by yesterday and showed him my bike. He's like, yeah, I can fix that in, like, 15 minutes. And uh, told me how much it would be. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded in the story of Esther when I said, I can't fix this. And, and this is not some deep theology you're going to learn at seminary in this way, but it's just plain English. I mean, it's kind of complicated English. Um, but God can't, can't. Are you with me for a minute? God never gets into a circumstance and a situation where he's like, oh man, I need to go see Dan right? He's never gets to a place where he's like, I can't do this. I need help. And I'm reminded in the story of Esther that what felt like the most powerful, he was the most powerful man in the world, the king of Persia, King Xerxes. Like he, he was the most powerful and he thought he had all the power and Haman had gotten number two in power and he thought he had all the power. And when I thought about those guys pretending, it's like they were playing really, from God's perspective, I thought of this clip from this movie that you know, I watched when, our, when Rosie was younger. Another, some deep theology from not at the museum right here. Um, but I want you to just see this clip, and I want you to think about it. Uh, as Ben Stiller, the actor here, is talking to, you remember the little guys that are in the, they're, they're in the, um, the displays? And I thought, man, that, those, those Octavius, and I can't remember, Jedediah, I think is the other guy's name. Uh, they're like, kind of like Haman. And King Xerxes. Hey, what's going on over here? We expand or we die. Hey, hey! Oh, the king come! Oh, 
whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey, Jed, stop that. All right, no, no, don't do that. You blow a hole in your mountain, all you're going to hit is a wall. Step aside, Giganto. We got us a railroad to build. We're blowing a hole in that thing. Okay, first of all, enough with the Gigantor giant stuff, okay? I'm just trying to close up shop. We're going to blow it anyway. And a three! <laughs> yeah, poof. Wow. What are you doing? What's it look like we're doing? It's manifest destiny. You can't fight it, neither can I. Go! More dynamite! Yeah, use right. it all! Okay. Listen, Octavus, you gotta stop that. It's Octavius, Mary. Okay, you know what? Fine, great. Here you go. You cannot do this. I am a Roman general. I, I have rights. You Hey! No! Keep heaving, Let me man. Down. I think that gives you a little bit of the, the mindset the, that I'm saying. How many times in our life have we said, more dynamite? Right? Like, I'm trying to fix this. I'm trying to bust through this problem. And, uh, and in God's perspective, it's, he's like, I'm God. I'm in control. And we see that in Esther. We see the most powerful kings in the world. And you think today there's powerful people you might be afraid of. And yet you are a child of God, a child of the king. A God who can't, can't. Okay? And I, I want you to, to take that away from the book of Esther. And we're going to find that in the, the end of the story here. If you're new into it, there's a lot to capture. I'm going to do my best so you can understand where we're at um, and, and capture the powerful part of this story. But... The, the book of Esther has transpired to a point to where the king Xerxes had put out the decree to murder all the Jews. They were all going to be dead, and they were going to die on March 7th. That was the date that they, they, they drew uh, um, uh, straws, basically, and decided what date it going to be. That's the date it was going to be. So king put out a decree, we're going to kill all the Jews. And then God worked through Esther and Mordecai and Haman and all these people, worked out this magnificent story to reach King Xerxes and find out that his queen Esther was one of the Jews that was going to die. And, and she approached him and asked, and he said, I'll give you anything you want. And, and so she's worked, God has worked through all those providential circumstances and situations. And the king could not take back the original decree, so he gave another decree. And he said, all right, on March 7th, the Jews can fight back. I give them the, the permission to, to prepare and get ready to fight against all of the Persians who are going to try to kill them. In the middle of all this, Mordecai had been promoted into a very powerful position in the Persian Empire. And so the, the governors and the mayors, and this is real history, this is not a myth, it's not you know, just a fable, a story. All the governors, mayors, and people across all the provinces in the Persian Empire, remember this reaches from at the time, middle of Africa to India. This is huge, the biggest empire in the world at the time. And Jews in every place are scared for their life, thinking they're going to die. But they, the leaders become afraid of Mordecai, and they see this new decree come out that says the Jews can fight back, and they take the side of the Jews. Okay, so we find chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, so on March 7th, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. This is the day. Y'all get nervous, like first day of school, first day of work. How about day you're supposed to die? Right? 
I want you to put your, yourself in their shoes, what was leading up here. So on March 7th, the two decrees of the day of the king were put into effect. And on that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies. I want to set just there for a minute the word that came, the two, three words that just jumped out at me. It's like God is a God of surprises. Of taking ordinary and making it extraordinary. And so on this day that was leading up to March 7th, they were nervous, 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 and, the, and they were supposed to be dead, but quite the opposite happened. We find that they were delivered. All over, the entire empire, all the Jews, they fought back. And I think the number is like 75,000 Persians died that day. And so quite the opposite happened. So God is the God of quite the opposite, right? You think, okay, we're, um, you remember when Saul goes to anoint a new king and he goes to, to David's family and, um, and, and his dad brings out all the brothers who are, who are, you know, they look like they should be king and a warrior and powerful, and he's like, nope, that's not the next king, that's not the next king. You got any more kids anywhere? And he's like, I got one way out in the fields. Who was that kid? (laughs) They got one way out in the field, so he goes and gets David, and he's like, I know it can't be David. Look at this, he's just a shepherd boy. And we find that God looks after the heart, right? He sees the heart. And so he uses what was supposed to be a little shepherd boy, and he's anointed as king, and it goes down the road. Well, you know the story of David, right? Goliath is standing on one end. All of Israel's future is hinging on this one battle. Goliath comes out every day. He says, who's going to come fight me? He's a giant. All the strong warriors, which would not be me, are like running from the battle line. Right? All the ones that should be going to fight should go fight. And so David comes and he goes to Saul, and uh, after Samuel had anointed him as the future king, and he goes to Saul, who is the, 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 the king at the time, and, uh, and he says, hey, I want to go fight Goliath. And the king's like, well, you're going to need armor. Let me give you my armor. And David puts it on, and he's standing there. It's too big for him, right? And Saul's thinking, David, if you go out there with just your sling and a stone, you're going to die. But quite the opposite. Right? God uses the heart of a little shepherd boy who had the right mindset, the right heart that just said, why are y'all scared of this guy? He's fighting against the God of Israel. Why are y'all, what are you scared of? And he steps out in that with a sling and some stones and he, he takes down Goliath. This is the truth of a God that we serve found in Esther. He's able to do quite the opposite, and he did it for the Jews on that day. He did it in the book of Esther. On the day they were supposed to be dead, he did the opposite, and he delivered them. They were all the way up to the Red Sea, if you will, and blocked on all sides. They had no way out but him. And so I thought about, I thought about them, and I thought that story in Esther, and then I thought about Jesus himself. I thought about Jesus himself, and I was thinking about Luke 24, where the, the believers, Jesus has been crucified, and they're walking on the road to Emmaus. You remember this story? They're walking, and, and it says their faces were saddened. 
In other words, they felt the defeat of what the believers and followers of Jesus felt in the first century when he was crucified. They thought he was going to be, remember they, they, they laid palm leaves down the week before his crucifixion saying, Hosanna to the king, thinking he was going to become a political ruler, king of Israel, most powerful. And at that point, we lay it all down. We take our cloaks off and lay before you. But now a week later, he's been crucified and everybody's confused. Like, wait, I thought he was going to rescue us from the Romans and, and take control and be all these things. Uh, but, but God is doing something quite the opposite of that in the story of Jesus. And in the road to Emmaus, those guys are walking, and, and Jesus appears to them, he says, it says, but he didn't reveal to them who he was. He kept his identity. He's God. He can do that. It's like, I'm going to be here, but you're not going to know who I am. I wish I could do that. I can't. And so he went, whew. He appears to them and begins to share with them all the Old Testament scripture. It says they were saddened, and he said, he said, why are you all so saddened? Why do you look downtrodden? He's like, haven't you heard what's happened in Jerusalem? That Jesus has been crucified, essentially, and we're going back home with our heads held low. Our heads hanging low, and Jesus begins to just speak to them of all the prophecies and all the Old Testament things. Maybe he spoke to them about Esther. Maybe he shared and how that was an illustration of just things to come. That in that story, God was present and saved the nation of Israel, and through that nation of Israel, he would be present and give opportunity to save all mankind. Maybe he began to share that story. You see, the, Jew, the Jews begin to celebrate this, and they still celebrate today with something called the Feast of Purim. And it's this big, it's one of their biggest feasts every year. They go to the temple. They read the scroll of the, that has the story of Esther on it. They wear costumes. They, they boo every time Haman is mentioned. It's like a raucous party, okay? And so they're still celebrating their deliverance then. And so Jesus is sharing all these Old Testament prophecies and he's sharing the stories of this and how everything before Matthew points to Jesus. And they begin to see it and they're getting excited and they get to, to uh, Emmaus and, and Jesus is trying to go on to wherever he's headed. And they're like, won't you come in and sit down with us? And they sit down to eat and break bread. And immediately Jesus reveals himself to him and he disappears. And they go, we just walked here with Jesus. <laughs> and they began to think, wait, is he dead? Is he alive? Is it quite the opposite of what we thought? Is he it's not a political, worldly kingdom? It's a spiritual, forever kingdom? He's not in the tomb. He's on the throne. And so they get all their stuff and they go back to Jerusalem and they find the disciples there and they can't wait to tell them the story and they get there and they're talking to Peter and you know the story about Peter, right? Mary Magdalene had showed up at the tomb just to, to put oil and spices and things on Jesus' body and the tomb was, the stone was rolled away and it was empty and she's like, well, somebody stole his body. She still doesn't even get it that he's resurrected. 
And so Peter and John come, and they say, yeah, it really is empty. And so they're back at the house, and then the two from Emmaus come, and they're in there, and they're talking. They're like, Peter's sharing. We saw Jesus. He revealed himself to him. And then they're like, we saw Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And, 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 then, get, and then he does it again. He just shows up. Remember, in that room, came through a wall. I don't know how he got there. He's Jesus. And he shows up, and in that moment, they re realize the three years they left worked with Jesus in his earthly ministry. Even some of you have been following Jesus a long time, and then there's going to be a day it clicks at the depth of who he is and what he means to you and how nothing else matters. And they think they thought he was dead, and it's like quite the opposite. <laughs> I'm alive, Jesus says. And he says, here's the scars, and Thomas puts his hand there. And this is, this is not just it's about Jesus. It's not about the Jews. It's not about the story of Jesus where God shows he's a God that can do quite the opposite. The story really matters to you. And it matters to me. Because Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says once, in other words, at one time, you were dead. You were dead. You were spiritually dead dead you were you were separated from god you were an enemy from god because of your disobedience and your many sins you were you were dead like when you're dead you don't think i just don't want to be dead anymore and you don't aren't right <laughs> unless you're jesus you were you were dead without hope without any ability to bring yourself back to life without any hope of getting yourself together, without any hope of doing good enough to make God happy. You were in that place because of your disobedience and your sins. And Adam did it first. We were born into it, and we inherit it. But, brother, we live into it. I don't know how old Harker was the first time he hit me or lied or did his thing, right? Like, it, we, we start that place, and that's my son. He's four, for those of you. He's still hitting me. You messed up at some point. And because of that mess up, the wages of sin or death is eternal separation from God. But in Ephesians 2, verse 4, if you keep reading, it says, But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. What, what I want you to understand is when you give your life to Christ, it is not a commitment to a club or a church or a religion or a way of life. You're not turning over a new leaf and saying, I'm going to try to do better. I'm saying something supernatural, spiritual happens inside of you, and you are never the same. Everything that somebody saw as you before, maybe it maybe it maybe an addict, adulterer, sexual promiscuity, all the things, alcohol uh, at, at its greatest capacity, uh, homeless, it doesn't matter whatever the things that were before. There were evidence that you were dead 
are now going to be the things God uses to prove that he brings dead things back to life. And, and so, yes, you were dead, but as a believer, you're just like the Jews in the story of Esther. Quite the opposite. You are not dead. You are delivered. You've been delivered from some things. And as a, he says, he came to give you life and give it abundantly. That means a life with purpose and reason. To be alive, where, where as, as in Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are God's masterpiece. So he, he can take a mess. Anybody a mess before Jesus? Anybody still a little bit of a mess even with Jesus? So was Paul. And that's the way the devil will get you. Say, you messed up, so you must still be dead. You're mine. He wants you to be yours. Let me tell you, if you're giving your life to Jesus, he can't get you back. All right? He can't get you back. You are delivered and you are alive in Christ. And so you have been moved from death to living. And in and, and that some things have happened. One is you've gone from condemned to justified. Okay, you've gone from condemned to justified. What does that mean? That means God ain't mad at you anymore. Because God's mad at sin, and you put your sin under Christ, and now he looks at you and just sees the righteousness of Christ. And Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like any sin, any shame, anything you did after you got saved, it, it doesn't matter. Like it never comes back up before God's eyes that way. And there is no condemnation for that. So you've gone from condemned and destined to hell and eternal separation from God to justified and righteous and eternal life and hope of eternity with Him. Not because of anything you did, but just His grace and your faith and believing in it. You've gone from, uh, from an enemy to His child, to His family. Romans 5.10, it says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death, of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You've gone from bondage, slavery. Some of you have tried so hard to be a Christian. You've tried to go to church. You've tried to do the things. And I wrote this little note up on my... Uh, my whiteboard up in my office as I thought about it this week. Some of you have tried to live by the rules instead of giving your life to the ruler. Are you with me for a minute? You can't live by the rules. You can't get to heaven that way. But when you give your life to the ruler... Romans 6 expounds on this in a big way, and I don't have time this morning, but you need to read it, you need to study it, you need to understand Romans uh, chapter 6. Because he talks about this. He talks about we've been moved from bondage to freedom. Moved from being in bondage to sin to freedom from sin. Now, 
He's talking to the church of Rome right then because they're saying, whoa, we're free, we're under grace. Does that mean I can just sin? The more I sin, the more grace I get, right? And so he said, that's what they were asking him. And people still asking pastors that today. And he says, you've confused the whole thing. You gave your life to Christ. You're a new creation. Your Holy Spirit is living inside of you. When the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, that's not, your heart is not to say, how much can I sin and still go to heaven? See, the one thing that changes about you when you give your life to Christ is your attitude towards sin. All of a sudden, the things that you used to just dive deep in are like, whoa. See, your attitude changes, and that's the freedom you get, the freedom from following Jesus, you get freedom from, one, the penalty of sin, which is death, eternal separation from God. Second is the power of sin in your life. You've been set free from it. God can change you. God can look at, you can, you, you can go back to your friends who may have known you five years ago. And they'd say, uh, look at this guy. And they'd be like, quite the opposite of the, the person I used to know. And that is not because you've tried hard. It's because you've given your life to Jesus. Romans 6 says we've gone from slavery to freedom in Christ. That's why we celebrate. That's why we're celebrating this morning. That's why we're singing songs, freedom. God has given us freedom. We're not under the bondage of sin anymore. That's worth shouting. We didn't do anything about it. He set us free. I want to think of the story of Jesus as the worship team comes up when we get ready to close. Sure, King Xerxes was powerful, but what could he do to separate God's love from his people? Sure, the, the enemy in your life is seeking whom he may devour. But what can, they what can he do? He is powerless to separate you from God's love for you. I want, to, I want you to think about the things in your life that, that feel like the end, that feel like that you're at the, the Red Sea, that you're coming up to March 7th and you're going to die. You may feel that way and in certain situations. I want you to think about the labels people have placed on you, the things people have said about you. And God is saying quite the opposite. This person is my child. I love them. Jesus is saying, I went to the cross just for them. And when the enemy brings anything to the Father's attention, Jesus says, no, he's mine, she's mine. They are in me. This morning, we're going to sing this last song that's called The Stand. It says, with heart abandoned, we come to God. Next Sunday, we're going to start a new series about worship. We've been praying for months and months, and we months ago God put it on my heart we came here we just sang songs one Sunday morning we just worshiped God it didn't make sense we all had a wreck of circumstances in our lives and we just we just fell down before God and worshiped anyway and so for the next four weeks we're going to be doing a sermon series called Praising our elders have prayed about this we've, we've, we've studied all kinds of scripture 
we're going to say, what does it mean to worship God? And we find that it's so easy to worship when you know who he is and who I am not. So this morning as you stand, I don't know where your life is, where your heart is. I don't know what you believe about yourself. That you're alone, quite the opposite. God never leaves you, never forsakes you. That nobody cares about you, quite the opposite. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believeth in him would not perish. But you don't know how I've messed up and God's mad at me, quite the opposite. You're in Christ, there's no say, no, I'm a child of God. I'm not dead. I'm alive. I buried that a long time ago when 